Hello and welcome to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager. Each week at this time, we gather for spiritual conversation with enlightening guests, and I'm glad you're here. You can find out more about my work as an intuitive guide and spiritual teacher at karenhager.com. Today's show may include mention of suicide and other issues that can be triggering. If you or someone you know is struggling, please reach out for help. You can call or text 988 to be connected to the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline in the U.S. In Canada, you can call 833-456-4566 anytime. Now then, in the face of indescribable loss, how can we find a way, day by day, to keep going? Denny Meek is my guest today. She wants to share openly about the challenges that she's gone through so that the shame and secrecy and silence society puts around grieving, especially around bereavement from suicide, can instead find inspiration in what the human spirit is capable of. If impossible experiences can be endured, they can bring untold personal growth, she says. Are you ready to meet her? Denny Meek is an author, speaker, and a fighter. Her book, Still Standing, is a memoir that raises awareness of domestic violence, infant loss, anorexia, nervosa, teen suicide, and grief. Her book's being used at three Australian universities to inform undergrad and postgrad students in health science, social work, psychology, education, and nursing. Of Denny's four children, three are deceased. One was lost to a rare heart disease as an infant, and two others committed suicide as teenagers. Denny was in two main relationships that subjected her to domestic abuse. She's had to confront many issues, pains, and challenging situations. Through it all, she's endured, survived, and learned to live again. You can find out more about Denny and her work at dennymeek.com. Denny, welcome to Out of the Fog. Thank you, Karen. Thank you for having me. I'm glad that you're here. So you have gone through what most people might think of as unimaginable, maybe even unsurvivable loss. Yes. And and many times when something happens to us, we hide. You you're doing the opposite. What is it that's inspired you to share this way? It's that isolation that inspired me to share. Um, my baby son died as an infant, as you mentioned, at two months. Um, that was the first time I had experienced deep loss and that was highly personal to me. And the second time was when my eldest son took his own life, aged 18. I was attending a brief parent support group at that time and I understood how comforting it was to come across other people who were experiencing what I was experiencing, how invaluable it was, how it addressed that dreadful isolation. And the thought came to me about 18 months after his death that if I could write for other bereaved parents, um, they might not feel so alone. 
that was the first thought I had for sharing our story. And then as the thought stayed with me and I continued to work on this book, Still Standing, um, I realised that a lot of what I was including addressed humanness and that people who'd never experienced anything that I was writing about might be inspired to pull out their own strengths when they needed to in their lives. Yeah. Mm. That's beautiful. And it is um, not only do we hide, I think, or tend to hide when things happen to us, but as people who love and support people who are going through loss, sometimes we don't know what to say. I'm remembering, and this is now many, many years ago, a dear friend of mine, her husband passed and I didn't know what to say to her. Yeah. And I was, I was like kind and polite and did all the, but I, I hid from her mm. because I was in the face of her grief. Mm. I felt, um, I don't know, like, um, incompetent. I can't think of a good word. I felt clumsy. I didn't know what to say. I couldn't. And so I hid, which was not the good thing to do to my friend who was grieving. Mm. I understand that feeling. When you come up against, especially in the early days between a death and a funeral, when you come up against that grief, that raw new grief, it's like looking up at a Goliath. And that, in a way, honours the grief. You are acknowledging how huge it is. It's a big thing, this death thing. Um, and I have had that reaction myself um, because I know what it's like. And as you mentioned that experience with your friend, I think back to those who surrounded me when my children died and I look at them with appreciation for the courage to say anything at all to me. And I do think it's better to say anything at all. You know, we retain an awareness that it's, we don't want to tread on their toes. And so maybe we can find ways that are better than others to be around bereaved people. Um, I have a free download on my website about that too, Karen, about being being around the bereaved, just my thoughts on that and, uh, you know, the awarenesses that we can hold that might help. What would you like us to know? So that free download is at dannymeek.com. That's correct, yeah. What, yeah. what would you like us to know about how, how to be around bereaved people? Even the words seem odd because something gets triggered that is so raw I think yeah. in yeah. us as the ones who are loving the person who's been bereaved and, and clearly in the person who's going through the loss, something gets triggered that's so raw that it can shut us down a bit on both sides. Mm. How, what would you like us to know about being around bereaved people? When I think about what comforted me at my worst times, I see courage in those faces, in those people. When I think about how it is for me to this day, when I need to speak to somebody who's newly bereaved, I know that it's courage just to uh, come up next to death and uh, 
retain my sensitivity around it. For me, I didn't want advice, and this is really important. Bereaved people are not bereaved because they they don't know how to get out of the space. <laughs> That's not what we're doing. We're not trying to uh, leverage them out of that space. We want to support them in it and hold space for them. We want to support them in that space and just do a little tiny snippet of that journey with them, accompany them, be with them. And uh, I think the best way, especially early on, is good reflective listening to show them that you are willing to be present with alongside your own fears and all that it brings up for you and just be with them. Good reflective listening, you know, uh, holding back on the urge to interject with your own story, whatever that might be, or interject with advice or especially euphemisms, you know, for death and all the discomfort that often arises at a time like that to just be aware that you probably will feel like that and be aware that the bereaved person just needs your presence, your compassionate presence. And uh, there are no words of magic. Even acknowledging that, uh, I've I've had a lot of comfort from people who've been prepared to be really vulnerable and say, look, I just don't know what to say. I really don't know what to say to you, but I want you to know that I'm feeling with you and I'm thinking of you and we really care. Mm. It's beautiful and it and it takes um I it takes courage sometimes to be as vulnerable as the person you're loving. I think yeah. a lot of times we're taught to be that when someone you love is hurting that that the best thing to do is fix it. Yeah. Or or have advice or say something like, you know, they're in a better place or oh right. no, those th- no, no, those at, things at just at least this or at least that. <laughs> right. Oh. Um, and so it does, it takes a kind of courage and vulnerability mm. on on all sides to be present for each other that mm. that way. Yeah. As as you were going as you were going through this. Did you get to a place, did you get to a place of being angry and wondering why this was all happening? This is a lot for one person. Huge, huge, huge. And thank you so much for asking that question because that's a subject we don't, as a society, deal with really well yet. Um, and it would be great if we had more conversations about anger. Um, yes, I got angry. Um, I have a piece in Still Standing called Conversation at God. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the book's Conversations with God, but yes. mine was called Conversation at God. It wasn't rude. It was raw and very honest. Um, I felt done to you know, uh, I felt a bit picked on and I I felt if, if the world's population needed balancing up, if God needed to take children from the planet, 
don't keep coming back to my nest. You know, that was that really hurt me. I went through a very deep, dark night of the soul um, because my spirituality was everything to me, you know, and I felt really hurt, deeply hurt. Um, so anger definitely was part of that journey. I'm using past tense um, as though it's all resolved now and I don't really have any answers, but I can say that it's not as difficult as it used to be. Yeah. Mm. Do you want any more on the subject of anger? <laughs> I'd, lo I'd love to know more about that because there are, depending on the beliefs that people hold, we can be taught that getting angry with God is a sure way to have something else bad happen. Now, yes. I don't believe that way, but yeah. it, but that's a, uh, that again takes a lot of courage to get right up there and shake your fist at God. Because really if you, does. if you hold a belief that God needs children or God takes children, that's, mm -hmm. um, that's a risky maneuver you did right there. Yeah, it is. It is. That's right. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's somehow in our DNA, you know, that, that there is a natural uh, wariness um, in the face of who we perceive to have the most power over our lives to to say, what do you think you're doing, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. Uh, and, you know, getting down to the ground level of it, my children and I needed to address the subject of anger in our lives, in our household, because we had lived with domestic violence. And, you know, that thwarts your relationship with anger because there is an imbalance of power. And we needed to find out how we could work with this subject in our own little home. I, of course, I became a single parent and that was just me and my the three children I had left for a long time. And we needed to address the subject of anger in a way that would work for us. <clears throat> it was very hard when uh, my teenagers, you know, my children became teenagers because uh, hormones can run a fun path for a parent at that time. <laughs> and my eldest son was expressing anger and that was really that was hard for me but I didn't want him modeling the violence that we had lived with previously I didn't want my daughter growing up to expect violence it was a subject that needed addressing directly in fact I attended a, a therapy group for women exploring anger at one stage when my daughter developed anorexia. Anorexia is supposed to include, um, you know, the issue of anger and how to, how to address it adequately. So I went to the group hoping to be able to help her in that way by doing it myself. You know, do you ever get there? I don't think so. I think we just keep working on things. Um, yeah, I, I was satisfied that we had addressed it more openly um, than it had been being addressed and more uh, in more in more of a just way for us. Mm. And eating disorders like domestic violence are often mm, things that take place in the shadows, things that have a yeah. pattern of secrecy 
Yes. Them, sometimes that's true of suicidality as well, right? The patterns of, of secrecy and take place in the shadows. Yeah. And it's, it's as I, as I read, especially the parts of the book about your daughter, it, it's so hard because even though you did everything right in quotes, right? Everything mm. right. If this was a bargaining with God, if there was an exchange, if there was someone keeping to score, surely you'd done everything right. <laughs> and and yet she passed. Yes. Um, through suicide, yes, passed. Yeah. And, and it's and that's how do we how do you how can someone you me come to terms with that and still continue to live how do you live forward day by day look you know sometimes i still have to bring it down into the day i still go through rough patches um i i see a difference between the valley of grief the deep valley of grief that i was in in the years following my children's deaths and the places I am now, you know, the, the tough spaces are different. They are not as hard. They're, they're challenging in their own ways, but everybody has challenges, you know, and um, <clears throat> we don't necessarily know <clears throat> how to, sorry, how to get through them. We have to find out in the day how to get through them and, so that's that's how it still happens for me. I know it's not as difficult as it was early on when I was still processing their deaths, their suicides. Um, and I don't think there's an easy answer. I haven't found any myself um, in the moments that I find it really difficult to stay. It's my uh, surviving son who I stay for. And I think it's okay that I, you know, in those moments when I can't find meaning in my own life, that I stay for him. I also, at this point, stay for my parents who are elderly. My dad's 94, my mum is nearly 90, and they have been a tremendous support to me in my grief. They continue to miss my children with me, which is a, a great support and comfort to me. Um but it's mainly my my youngest son who I still have, thankfully, who I, I just cannot abandon. He's a lovely person. He makes me laugh. He makes me watch Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he brings he brings life to me uh, in in the days that are difficult. Um, those days are not anywhere like they used to be, and not as numerous, but. Uh, you just have to find ways. I think there's a creativity and humanness that insists that you find ways in each day. What do you think about that, Karen? I think that's true. And I think one of the things I'm hearing as I listen to you is your sense of humor. And I think <laughs> there's a there's a, a little like a little bit of a, a twist in <laughs> all of us, don't you think, in our makeup? Yeah. That that no that no matter what happens, we we all, I think, have a kind of resilience. Yes, I think so. And I think we're far more resilient than we think. Yeah. I think, you know, we are encouraged probably by our society, our Western society, we're encouraged to look at the dark and the difficult 
I think our news broadcasting is the bad news and I think we are encouraged to um, focus on problems in order to try to fix them. But in that focus, we can lose sight of our what we would call strengths and there is so much more of that than we uh, live our lives acknowledging. So, yeah, resilience is important to be aware of. And I say that to myself too. I think we, we need reminding of it daily. You're listening to Out of the Fog. <clears throat> and I'm talking with Denny Meek. She is the author of Still Standing, A Mother's Raw Journey from the Shadows of Loss to the dawning of hope. You can find out more about Denny and her work at dennymeek.com. If you or someone you know is struggling, please reach out for help. You can call or text 988 to be connected to the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline in the U.S. In Canada, anytime, you can call 833-456-4566. As the mother of children who have committed suicide. Mm -hmm. Is there something that you can share with parents who may have concerns about their own children who are living or who may be grieving the passing of their children who've passed through suicide? I think that suicide bereavement is one of the most difficult losses to bear. And I think it's good to acknowledge that in yourself, validate it for yourself and um, not undermine yourself for feeling it whenever you can. Uh, I would suggest uh, professional support in the form of counselling for yourself and for the rest of the family. Um, because talking about it is something that most suicide bereavement survivors want to do, but it's thwarted by the stigma. Um, I found that I could I could talk about it to people, but there would often be a silence that was really loud where all the superfluous noise would be vacuumed out of the air and you're just left with an awkwardness, and that's the stigma. And... People might really want to be supportive, but there there is a fear. And that silencing that we receive, um, that can lead to shame. And the best antidote to shame, I think, is talking about it. As you and I are, thank you, Karen, for airing this subject. Sure. Mm, um, so I think looking after your body is important too when you're bereaved by any means, but suicide is, has its own specific challenges and finding other people who have experienced it uh, can be a, a great support. Mm. As a mother, so my boys are now 20 and 23, uh -huh. and I was stunned to learn from my now 23-year-old that when he was in middle school, he had been being bullied and had thought about taking his life. Yeah. And it made me feel like the world's worst mother <laughs> for not knowing because I didn't know. Mm. 
Mm. Can did you did did you know? Um, I think that when you hear the news, it is so shocking that that shock suggests to you you didn't know. You couldn't possibly have prepared yourself for that. Um, and the finality of it also is a terrible shock. Um, I think you can you can think about things, you can worry about things, but when it actually happens, it's a very different story. And um, when you asked me, did I know, I had conversations with my children. I was a very open sort of mother. Um, you know, we can pick holes in my mothering, and of course I did. I left no stone unturned in the valley of grief for my children. But uh, I was a very open sort of mother, and especially my eldest son, Simon, said he appreciated that very much. He said, no one could have been a better mother to, to me than you have been. Mm. Um, so, you know, in my dark moments, I have to hang on to things like that. Um, did I know Simon was a very deep, sensitive soul? Uh, he missed having a father figure in his life. And uh, we had conversations about the subject of suicide. We talked about everything, other planets, aliens, you name it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we all shared that wonderful dark sense of humour. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was never discussed in a way that would that would um, end with him saying, well, that's how I feel, because he didn't have to. And, Karen, I really I really think that most humans who are here on the planet who've had a human life, not all but most, have had the thought cross their mind at some stage or other. And I actually think it's important to have that out as an option so that we can choose to stay. Yes. I think choice in this human life is very important we're very aware of our frailty as humans and our vulnerable states. We hide them from each other. We hide them from ourselves. We have stigmas around things we're not supposed to be socially. We have defence mechanisms around what we're not supposed to be in ourselves. We, we go into denial so easily because we need to believe differently about ourselves and not see our frailty so much. So, you know... Um, I think uh, when we when we talk about these subjects, we talk about them in a certain way. And um, coming back to your question, yes, being as open as we can is is the best way. I'm seeing that the clock is just about to catch us, and I'm wondering. Oh. I know I see too short, much too short. <laughs> At I wonder what you would most like listeners to know, and I'm thinking especially of listeners who are moving through their own valley of grief or who are trying to stand beside someone who's in who's grieving. To those who are bereaved, I would want them to know that they're not alone. It's why I wrote the book, Still Standing. It's, it's what got me through wanting other people to know that they're not alone because that isolation is so difficult. That's the first thing I would want. 
to those who are comforting the bereaved, good on you. <laughs> and um, thank you for your love and compassion and be led by that, you know, be led by your loving heart. And uh, it's a good opportunity to learn to listen and to, to see that we often don't in our fast world. We often don't stop and listen. It's a good time, a good opportunity for us to learn to really listen and to hear uh, another depth to life and to ourselves. Um, to the bereaved, oh, please hang in there. And um, and if you feel self-blame, please try to go easy on yourself, especially if you are mourning a suicide. They have their own challenges, suicides, and it's it's it can be hard not to blame yourself but you can get to a plateau where you can see it more objectively and it can take uh, a more realistic con uh, context so if you can get to that place you'll be a tremendous asset to the world yeah um, do do you believe in your personal belief system in a, a unifying principle or a higher power, is is this playing out as part of a bigger picture? Are we supported yeah. in spirit? Sometimes I feel that we are, um, and on my difficult days, uh, I feel more alone. But when I get back to my balance, that is definitely what I feel. And, and it is what I believe. I do believe there's a bigger picture and that it makes a lot more sense than we are capable of making as humans. Annie, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you for having me, Karen. I've been talking with Denny Meek. She is the author of Still Standing, A Mother's Raw Journey from the Shadows of loss to the dawning of hope. You can find out more about Denny and her work at dennymeek.com. That's D-E-N-N-Y-M-E-E-K, dennymeek.com. Remember that if you or someone you know is struggling, call or text 988 for the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline in the U.S. and Canada. It's 833-456-4566. And you're always welcome at karenhager.com. That is a great place to find out about upcoming classes and events. You can even book a private session with me there if you're so inclined. And you can follow me on Instagram where I'm Fog City Psychic. That's where you'll find more out of the Fog content and occasional sort of blurry jigsaw puzzle photos so you can see what I'm working on and unexpected loveliness from my daily outings with Maisie, the remarkable dog. And thank you for listening today. Together we are spreading a little more light in the world. And a little more light is always a good thing. Until next time, I'm wishing you peace. <laughs>